Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. One of these days we'll have to tell you that whole story, but maybe not today. But uh, what a pleasure to be here, to experience the presence of the Lord and to worship with you, just to be in His presence. Now I am well aware that it's Pentecost Sunday, and uh, this is that that one Sunday in the entire church calendar, in which we celebrate, are supposed to celebrate the uh, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. Now we're going to do that, but we're not going to do it this Sunday. Because, you know, at the end of every uh, fifth Sunday, we do what we call Doctrine and Donuts, and we do the seven core values. And the next core value is we prayerfully value Pentecost. And we're going to do that not this Sunday, but the last Sunday of this month. So in order to get that message and to talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the light of startling questions, we're going to ask three questions that Sunday. What does this mean? Have you received since you believed, and are we stuck on stupid? So that will be the, the end of this month. Uh, next two Sundays, you'll have another minister here, and Edith and I will be in South Carolina doing a revival and a camp meeting. But this Sunday, we're going to go back to what we've been talking about. And we've been talking about Scripture's most startling questions. Because we talked last week about life being filled with questions. All types of questions that demand answers. Important questions. Where did I come from? The question of creation that determines your worldview and your standard for morality. Uh, we talked about what will I do in life? The career question. Well, who will I spend my life with? Companionship question. What will I give my life for? The cause. Life is filled with questions. Questions that demand answers. Astonishing questions. Desperate questions, embarrassing questions. Uh, you're in relationship with who? Uh, you did what? You stayed out how long? You're how old? You weigh how much? I mean, life is filled with some embarrassing questions. Life is filled with perplexing questions. One that always bothered me is, why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? I, that wouldn't... Uh, what color hair does a bald man record on his driver's license? I, that one is perplexing. Uh, how did the keep off the grass sign get there in the first place? What was the greatest thing before sliced bread? If the police re arrest a mime, do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? That always troubled me. How can a product be both new and improved at the same time? And the one that always really perplexed me is if you try to fail and you succeed, which one did you really do? So uh, life is filled with questions. But Scripture is filled with questions, important questions. Who is Jesus? Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Uh, what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Astonishing questions. Will you be made whole? 
And so last week we talked about these startling questions. And we went to Genesis. Where art thou, Adam? That's startling. What is it that you have now done? Who told you that you were naked? Where is your brother Abel? So the scripture's filled with startling questions. And so last week we talked about the one in the New Testament about who gets it all. Or literally, what will you take to the grave? Startling question. Uh, you won't take gold. You won't take your possessions. You won't take your power. You won't take your positions. You might take your guilt and your grief and your grudges. But the thing that you must take is the grace of God. And out of the grace of God, you want to take good works, God-likeness, and gratitude. And so today we're going to pick that up. The, the Scripture's most startling questions. And I want to bring you to what I believe may be the most startling question in the Bible at all. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. King James says it like this. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? An, a, another version kind of puts it like this. Why do you keep on saying that I am your Lord when you refuse to do what I say? In other words, that startling question is simply, why aren't you all in? Maybe you can watch this clip and see. I wouldn't be saying thank you Jesus that I'm on that wire I would be saying thank you Jesus that I'm back on the other side of the canyon that's Nick Walinda he uh, set a record by walking over the Grand Canyon over the little Colorado River 1500 feet above the bed of that river without a harness without a net and the wind was blowing that day 48 miles per hour I would say that's all in. All in. It's that familiar poker term where you bet all the chips on one hand, where you put everything on that 
group of cards that you've just received that you're totally committed, totally dedicated, win or lose, you're all in. Well, in sports, we call it leaving it all on the field, giving 110%. In marriage, we call it vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. That's all in. And we admire those who are all in, don't we? Mother Teresa, who gives her entire life for the poor people in Calcutta, India, the pouring out of the, the entirety of herself for those that need a touch of somebody's love. Those five young missionaries in 1957 that goes to uh, Ecuador in the Amazon jungle and, and literally pour out their life unto death to reach one tribe that have never heard the name of Jesus and because of them being all in, totally committed and dedicated, 70% of that tribe has been born again. The very man that threw the spear that killed one of those missionaries is now the pastor of that church. We admire people who are all in, totally dedicated. When we turn to the scripture, we do the same thing. Moses, who's willing to esteem the reproach of Christ, greater treasures than all the riches of Egypt, willing to leave everything that he had in Egypt in order to deliver a nation of slaves. Joshua who turns and looks at the children of Israel and says, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elisha, who's willing to turn away from the 12 yoke of oxen that his family owns in order to follow Elijah completely and be nothing more than a menial servant and pour water on the hands of his master. We, we read about Peter and the disciples when Jesus passed by the seashore and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they rise up, leave all and follow him, totally altering their life all in. Paul on the Damascus Road, Hebrews chapter 11. As you read the stories of those that were willing to, to suffer the violence of, of the sword, being sawn asunder, cast to the lions, totally committed, all in. Even when we read about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. For he said, Father, the job that you've given me to do, I have done it. And he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, he was all in. Totally committed. And so Jesus steps right into the face of the, the disciples. Right in the middle of, uh, of all the lessons that he's giving them. And he looks them right in the eye and says, Why aren't you all in? Why is it that you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you do not do the things which I say? How is it that you are constantly calling me by the name Lord, recognizing my Lordship, telling me with your words that I am your Lord, and yet you do not obey me? That is startling. For he literally says, why is it that you preach in my name? How is it that you prophesy in my name? How is it that you pray in my name? How is it that you sing about my name? How is it that you are constantly calling me Lord, Lord, and yet you aren't all in? You're not doing the things that I say. In other words, one translation simply says it like this. How is it that you go by the name of Christian? Little Christ is what that means. They were given that term, that call, that name at Antioch 
which was the armpit of the Roman Empire, which was the slave capital of the Roman Empire, so that when they looked at them at Antioch, they said, you guys are nothing but the slaves of Christ. And they meant it to deride. And the disciples said, in effect, that's the nicest thing anybody ever said about us. And so from then on, they were called Christians, the slaves of Jesus. And he says, how is it that you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you do not surrender to that lordship, and you do not obey the things which I say? Now, we used to. The church used to sing about it all the time. I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'm yours, Lord, everything I've got, everything I'm not. Try me now and see See if I will not be completely yours. I give myself away. Have thine own way, Lord. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thine own will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. You remember those songs? We used to sing about it. But now the church is living in a dichotomy where we've divided Christ into two separate and yet opposite parts. We want Him as Savior. We want our sins to be forgiven. We want to miss hell and go to heaven. And yet, do we really want a Lord? When He makes demands on our life, when He makes demands on our lifestyle, do we say, Lord, Lord? Or do we disobey? You see, Everybody wants a Savior. Remember the story at Gadara? The man's controlled by the devil. He's out of control. No man can control him, bind him. We want the Lord to step in and save us from our helplessness and our hopelessness. But we don't want a Lord. For after he had delivered the demonic and set him free, he cast those demons into the herd of swine. Remember? What were Jews supposed to do with swine? They weren't. They weren't supposed to be messing with swine. That was against the law. And the moment that he messed with their materialism, the moment that he messed with their possessions, the moment that he demanded lordship even over their occupation, do you remember their reaction? They were glad that the demonic was saved. But they asked Jesus to leave because they didn't want a lord. People want to be saved. They just don't want a sovereign lord. Do you know what? People want a healer. They just don't want a Lord. There were ten lepers that came to Jesus. Jesus immediately said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they obeyed his command, they were healed. That means the leprosy stopped. But one, only one came back to Jesus. And Jesus said, were there not ten healed? Where are the nine? Only one came back to acknowledge who he was. He came to worship him. He was a Samaritan, a half Jew, an outcast. He knelt at his feet and worshipped him. And the Bible said he was made whole. Oh, wait. There's more to leprosy than just being healed. Leprosy destroys the appendages. But when he came back and acknowledged that Jesus was Lord, he was made whole. Everything that the disease had taken away, Jesus restored. See, everybody wants a healer, but the nine didn't want a Lord. Everybody wants a miracle worker, don't we? He multiplied the loaves and the fish, fed the multitude. They did all eat. They were all filled. They came to take him and make him king, not because they wanted to follow him, but their belly was full. They wanted a miracle worker. 
Jesus said, in order to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must assimilate me into yourself. I must be sovereign Lord over your life. And they said, that is a hard saying. And they went back and followed him no more because they wanted a miracle. They just didn't want a Lord. Well, you're really quiet. And that's why this question is so startling is because Jesus startles us. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only he that does the will of my Father. He said, there is a generation that will come and draw nigh to me with their lips. They will constantly talk about me, sing about me, pray to me, call me Lord. And yet their heart is far from me. He said, even in the church, there will come those in the last day and say, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? We preached in your name. Did not we perform in your name? We cast out devils in your name. And you know what he said? I'm sorry. I don't know you. Cast out. Because they had never entered into a personal relationship with him. They were on the peripheral. They had never surrendered and submitted their lives to his lordship. They were hearers. But they were not doers of the word. In fact, Chuck Colson tells a story about going behind the Iron Curtain to one of the countries that fell after Russia was dissolved and the Soviet Union was dissolved. And he met a pastor that had spent 15 years in prison for preaching the gospel, most of it in solitary confinement. When he's out, he's got an apartment that's 15 by 15. That's it. And Colson says, tell me about uh, Western Christianity. He said, you don't want to know. He said, I asked you. He said, you don't want to know. He said, tell me. And he said, the problem with Western Christianity is you're constantly going on fads. He said, right now in America, it's commitment, commitment, commitment. Colson said, that's good. And he said, no, that's not good. Because you've substituted the word commitment for the Bible word. For the biblical word is not commitment. It is submission, submission, submission. You see, it's one thing to say, Lord, Lord. But it's something else to do what he says. And so he startles us and says, why is it that you call me Lord? Why is it that you're not all in? But I want to submit something to you right now. He is Lord. You know why? He is Lord because of who he is. This is my son. This day have I begotten you. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, hallelujah. He is Lord because He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is Lord because of who He is. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He is Lord because of who He is. He has been given a name that is above every name. So that the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the book of Acts, Peter said, you took him with wicked hands and crucified him, but God hath raised him up and he has made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ, both Master and Messiah, both Sovereign and Savior. He alone has the keys 
to death and to hell. He is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the bright and the morning star. He is the rose of Sharon's pasture land. He is the lily of the valley. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the great amen, the first begotten from the dead. He has all authority and dominion both in heaven and in earth. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's Lord because of who he is. But he's not only Lord because of who he is, he is Lord because of what he did. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. He offered up one sacrifice for sins forever. When he had by himself purged our sins, he was seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross he shed his life's blood so that we could be free from our sins and brought into relationship with God and he is Lord because of what he did hallelujah he came to seek out and to save the lost, to drink the cup. He said to them, if you don't believe me by what I say, then believe me by the work's sake. Because if I cast out devils by one finger, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. you got to believe Him because of what He did. He stilled the storms. He calmed the waves. Nature obeyed Him. Oh, hallelujah. He is Lord because of what He did on the cross. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He is Lord not only because of what He did, but He is Lord because of what He's doing. Because now He's resurrected in the newness of life. And He ever lives and reigns to make intercession for you. And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon Him. And He hath anointed Him to open the eyes of the blind. To proclaim that the prisoner and the captive can go free. To bind up the broken hearted. He has come to supply your need. He is a great high priest. And He intercedes for you. And He doesn't intercede with words. He never intercedes with words. He intercedes with the sacrifice. He's seated as a high priest on the right hand of God the Father and when he wants to intercede for you all he has to do is show the Father his nail pierced hand and his sword pierced side and the moment the Father sees that sacrifice he answers and gives you what you need he is Lord not only because of who he is and because of what he did but he is Lord because of what he is doing he is making intercession for you but he's also Lord because of what he shall do. Because unto those that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's Lord <laughs> because He's going to split the eastern sky. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and there we shall ever be with the Lord. And then the Bible says, John said, I saw the heavens open and He descended on a white charger and He had a vesture dipped in blood and a sharp two-edged sword went out of His mouth and He had a name written King of kings and Lord of lords and he destroyed the Antichrist and the false prophet with the brightness of his coming he bound Satan for a thousand years he rules and reigns over this earth and we get to rule and reign with him and at the end of the thousand years the devil's loose and there's a battle called Gog and Magog but at the end of that battle he establishes a new earth and a new heaven wherein dwelleth righteousness he's Lord because of what he's going to do 
He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's sovereign. He's Savior. He's Master. He's Messiah. But the question is, is it your Lord? Or are you just calling Him Lord, Lord? Are you all in? See, the, the Scripture gives us a pattern of how we get to be all in. It's in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your just spiritual worship. Not being conformed to this world, stuffed into its mold, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what the will, the plan, the purpose of God for you is. It is a good plan. It is an acceptable plan. It is a well-pleasing plan. But what did he say? You have to present yourself. And the word percent in the Greek is in the aorist tense, which means an event that happened once in a lifetime. It was a crisis moment. Once in a lifetime when you stopped and presented yourself. And now because you've done that once in time, it continues to affect your life from then on. Amen. Have you presented? You see, the pattern's this. God always brings you to a place there always is a required price. And after the price is paid, you have peace with God. The peace of Lordship. Oh, amen. You see it throughout the scripture. Uh, in, in the book of Genesis, it's Jacob. <laughs> you know what his name means? Heel holder, supplanter, crook, deceiver. He's always prevailed with his own ingenuity, his own ability, his own strength. But he comes to the place called Peniel, which is the face of God. And he is wrestling with God. And because he won't let go, the angel touches the hollow of his thigh and he crooks the crook. Did you know there's a lot of people in this building that's lame from your struggles with God? You've been wrestling with God, struggling with God, fighting with God over lordship, the control of God in your life, and you're lame from it. It's not your struggle, it's your surrender. It's your submission. It's not how hard you wrestle and fight against the will of God. It is the moment that you present yourself in light of who He is, by the mercies of God, in light of what He did, in light of who He is, in light of what He's doing, in the fact that He's Lord, present. And so He brings you to penile the face of God. And He's wrestling with God, and now He's lame from those struggles. And what's the price? The angel says, what is your name? And he says, I am a Jacob. He didn't say I'm Jacob. He said, that's what I am. I am a crook. I'm a supplanter, a deceiver. I've prevailed with my own help, my own ability, my own physical strength, my own ingenuity. And the angel said, I've just been waiting for you to say that. Because from now on, you're not Jacob. You are Israel, one who has prevailed not in your own strength, but by the help of God. And from then on, then on, the crook walked straight because there was peace in his life. Oh, Moses, the place is the backside of the desert. The bush is burning with fire. It's not consumed. Moses is discouraged and defeated. Forty years of wasted life on the backside of the desert. And God brings him to the bush and reveals himself as Lord. I am that I am that I am. I'll never be diminished from who I am. That's the place, the price. What's in your hand, Moses? It's a rod of my past. It's like a serpent. 
poison and sting and death. And the Lord said, Moses, throw it down. And the moment he threw it down, it's not the serpent that he picks up. It's the rod of God's deliverance. There comes a place you have to throw down the rod and the poison of your past and the sting of your defeat. You have to let it go. You have to surrender it and submit it because he is I am. And the moment that you pay the price, peace comes. He picks up the rod of God's deliverance and says, I'll go, Lord. I'll go. Peace. Oh, hallelujah. You see it in Peter, don't you? After the crucifixion, he goes back to seashore Galilee, takes the boat out of mothballs and dry dock, takes six of the other disciples, goes fishing, fishes all night. Now he's got an empty heart, an empty net, and an empty boat. Nothing. That's the place. Jesus said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I go before you to Galilee. He's going to meet them there. And sure enough, Peter's in that empty boat. It's breakfast time. He looks at the shore. There's bread and fish upon the fire. And Jesus is standing there, resurrected, glorified, saying, come and dine. Come back to communion. And when he gets there, there's a prize. Peter, do you really love me more than these? You said you did. You said you'd never deny me. That all the others could go to prison. That everybody else would die. You would do it with me. Do you love me more than these people? Do you love me more than these possessions? Empty boats and full boats and occupations? Do you love me more than your passions for fishing? Do you love me more than this place called the seashore of Galilee? Do you love me more than these? Three times. And finally, Peter looks at the Lord and says, Lord, you know everything. You know what I said. You know how I failed. But you know that I love you. I can't get to where you are right now. I can only get to the level of deep affection. But you know I love you that much. And the Lord said, that's what I've been waiting for you to say. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Follow me. I could go to Paul on the Damascus Road. That's the place. The price is, what will you have me to do, Lord? And the peace is, now I'm sending you to the Gentiles. But it was even in the life of Jesus. Don't you remember the place? Gethsemane. Oil press. Crushing. The place where they took the olives from the tree and, and, and put them under the stone mill and ground them and crushed them. It's a place of crushing. What did Jesus say when he came into the garden? My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. That's the place. And then he goes to pray while they sleep. And he prays until his own sweat becomes mixed with great drops of blood. He's dying. Not because he's going to the cross physically. But because he's becoming sin and separated from his father. And he's on his face in the dirt of that garden. I've been there. And it's not a pretty place. It's a garden. It's where they grow olive trees. The same trees he prayed under are still there. And Luke said he went a stone's throw, threw himself down in the dirt of that garden. He's agonizing. My soul is in sorrow and torment. I have a cup to drink, and I can't be free until I drink of this cup. And he's struggling, sweating, clothes disheveled, face streaked with mud and sweat and, and blood and There's a price. Lord, you've always heard me and you've always answered me. And if you will, you can let this cup pass from me. 
If he had stopped, you wouldn't be sitting here. Because there were 12 legions of angels surrounding that garden. And if he had stopped and said, let this cup pass from me, they would have come, set him free, destroyed this earth. You wouldn't be sitting here. But he didn't. He paid the price. He said, nevertheless, nothing less than the best. All I want is your will, your lordship. Whatever you want me to do, not what I want, not what I think is best. If you think the mockery of an unjust trial is best, if you think a crown of thorn, if you think stripes upon my back, if you think a cross is the best, whatever you think is the best, not my will, but my will be done. And the peace? The Bible said when he prayed that, the third time the angels came, ministered. You know how angels minister? They worship. Can you get this picture? He's on his face, streaked with mud, clothes disheveled, struggling. Angel comes, gets down in the dirt and says, you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the obedient servant to your Father. You are sovereign God. And he's strengthened to go to the cross. God will bring you to a place today. And it will cost you a price. Not your struggle, but your surrender. And then He gives you peace. Because the proof of lordship is obedience. Are you doing what He says? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nature. Follow me and I will make you rich, famous, an author, handsome, married, Follow me and I'll make you the next greatest speaker that the world's ever seen. You'll be the next Billy Graham. Follow me and I'll make you T.D. Jakes and you'll get $100,000 every time you stand up to preach. Follow me and I'll put you on TBN. Follow me. I'll make you the greatest youth pastor in the world. Follow me. I'll make you the best. Pre no, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're not catching men, are you really following me? Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be opened unto you. If you ask anything in my name, it shall be done. Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore, shun the appearance of evil. If you know that your brother has aught against you, leave your gift at the brother at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Come offer your gift. Love God totally with all your heart, mind, soul. Love, you, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. By this sign shall all men know that you're my disciples. You'll love one another. Wait. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. For that's the proof. And so the question is, not is he Lord? It's is he your Lord? Or is there an area of your life that you've never committed to Him. Is He the Lord of your places? Where you go, where you don't go? Is He the Lord of people in your life, relationships? Is He the Lord of your possessions? Is He the Lord of your gifts? Is He the Lord of your talents? Is He the Lord of your worship? Is He the Lord of your finance? Is He the Lord of your passions? Startling. Why aren't you all in? 
He was all in. He gave everything he had. His disciples rose up, left everything, followed him. They were all in. And he expects you to be. You know, our problem, and I close, is that we are seeds packaged, not planted. Remember what he said in John 12? He said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose your life. If you lose your life for me, you'll save it under eternal life. He said, if you hold on to things, it's like a corn of wheat, a grain of wheat. If that seed abides by itself, it dies. It never produces. As long as it's packaged, it may be pretty, but it's not productive. Oh, every spring you can go to Walmart, Bethany Country Store. They have racks of seeds. And every one of them are packaged. And they have this beautiful, big old round ripe tomatoes and beautiful ro- But as long as that seed's in that package, it may look pretty, but it doesn't produce You know how it produces? You rip it out of the package. You take that seed and you bury it. It dies. But if it is buried in submission and surrender, there is a property of life and germination, and out of what seems to be death comes harvest and life. And the trouble in the church is we're seeds packaged. We look really pretty. We do it every Sunday. Praying in your name, Lord. Singing in your name, Lord. Preaching in your name, Lord. But are we living that way on Monday? Are we doing what he says? For a double-minded man's unstable, and that's the problem, up and down, back and forth. Because we're packaged, but not planted. There's a beautiful statue in Copenhagen, Denmark, it's a statue of Jesus. It's the artist created that sculpture where Jesus is erect with his hands outstretched. And no matter how you walk around that statue, you can't see Jesus' face. You can come in front, you can come at the side, you come from behind at any angle you want. And as long as you are erect surrounding that statue, you cannot see his face. You know how you see his face? You come directly in front of the statue and you kneel. And you look up. And there will be peace in your life. And the purpose that is good and acceptable of what His will is. When you surrender to His Lordship. Peter's on the rooftop. (laughs) And the Lord lets down a sheet filled with all kinds of things in the law that were unclean. And Jesus says to Peter... Rise and eat. And you remember what he said? Not so, Lord. No. You can say, Lord. Or you can say, not so. But if he's Lord, you can't say, not so, Lord. Because you have to do what he says. Is there an area of your life that you've never surrendered? Startling. Why do you call me Lord? And yet you don't do what I say. Stand with me right now.
Is he the Lord of all the kingdoms of your life? There's a song I want you to listen to. Every time I hear it, it speaks to me. I hope it'll speak to you. It's a country western gospel song, so just kind of have to tune your ear to hear for a minute. Play it, Brother Danny. My heart is like a house One day I let the Savior in There are many rooms Can you turn it up? Where we would visit now and then But then one day he saw that door I knew the day had come too soon I said, Jesus, I'm not ready for us to visit in that room. Cause that's the place in my heart where even I don't go. I have some things hidden Call him Lord, Lord, but is there a place that you've never surrendered? He brought you to this place this morning. The price is surrender, but you leave with peace. While every head's bowed for a moment, the question is, are you all in? 
Is he the Lord of your life? Or is there a hidden place? You don't even go there. He's handing you the key with tears of love on his face. He wants to walk with you in that place and become the Lord of all. And if there's an area of your life you've never surrendered to Jesus, whatever it is, people, passion, possessions, pride, places, He brought you here today for this moment. That you can leave here with the peace of Him being not just Savior, but Sovereign. Not just Messiah, but Master. Lord. And you need to make Him the Lord of your life. There's just one area that you need to submit to Jesus. I want you to step out right now. The prayer team's going to meet you here. And we're going to pray with you that this place, the surrender, will bring the peace that you've been searching. He'll become the Lord of all. You'll be all in. 100%. Totally His. Lord, Lord. You need to make Him Lord of an area of your life. I want you to come right now. Prayer team's coming to join me. We just want to pray with you. Maybe you've never made Him Savior. He's here to save you this morning. That's what He did. That's why He came. So that your sins would be forgiven. Your name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You'd be a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you don't know Him as Savior, He's here to save you. To be your Savior, but to be your Lord. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.